Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast host. Hi, I'm Kelly Street. And I'm Laura Briggs, and this is episode 323 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with our operations director, Paige Atkins, about best practices for hiring a virtual assistant. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lawmatics, Postali, ESQ.marketing, Sweet Process, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Well, thanks for joining me, Kelly. I'm so glad that we are recording an introduction together, and we're going to chat about something that both of us feel really important. Like We feel like it's super important to running a business and probably even in your personal life, too. I recently came across this concept of having an enough number. Like Everything in marketing and advertising is telling us to do more, to buy more, to keep adding things to our plate, right? And there's this whole movement out there of like an enough number, figuring out what that is for you and then not pushing yourself to go beyond that. So I'm sort of curious, like, what is your perspective on this topic and what is a way that you maybe see this coming out for a lot of business owners? Yeah. I mean, first off, the first thing I think about when I think about the enough number or what is enough is I hear my mom's voice in my head going, be content, be content, or talking about that space of contentment. And I think enough in this idea of what is enough as far as your business is a slightly different take on that. There's a little bit of it there, but what it really means to me, what I'm really seeing a lot of firms doing is they want to do all all the social media things. They want to be winning on Facebook and on Instagram and think they need to be everywhere at once. And there's so much of a myth to that. But it's not just that. It's also the myth of the number that they're thinking, oh, I have to have a million dollar firm or I have to, whatever that baseline is where you have to get to that point. And instead of asking yourself why you're just sort of continually seeking after trying to do more to get to whatever that number is. Yeah. It can be so empty if you do hit that number and there was no other intention around setting it. Like it didn't have to do with how many clients you served or how many people you were able to hire and improve their life. Because one of the things we work on a lot with our lab members is what does your healthy small law firm look like? And it usually feeds back into your personal life too. What does running your own law firm allow you to do in your personal life? Does it allow you to take a three-week vacation or not work on Fridays anymore or whatever that might be, which goes completely against this whole idea of adding in more and more and more kind of chasing this number. So the general idea behind this number of as far as what you should set for revenue is to take into account things like your living expenses that you need every single month your minimum business expenses, what do you need to cover your overhead, pay your staff, all those things. If you're paying off any debt and your peace of mind cushion, that's your monthly savings number, you add all of those together, that is your enough 
number for the month. That is what you at least need to clear every month. Now, it doesn't mean you you never aim beyond that, right? But it's something that you can pull some of the pressure off of yourself because maybe you really don't need to have the seven-figure law firm to accomplish the goals that you really want to accomplish and the life that you want to build or you want your employees to build too. Yeah. And I think there's another thing that I think about, and that's the employees and hiring side of things too, where some lawyers feel really strong in their position of being a true solo attorney law firm. And some others are like, oh, well, it can't just be me. I need to hire other people. I need to do this without thinking about everything that goes along with it of you then have to be a manager. You then have to figure out, you know, maybe benefits and all of these other things that maybe you actually would enjoy being the sole attorney, but with other support staff rather than hiring other attorneys and growing your firm that way. Thinking about all of the other things that go along with these goals, this mindset of what you think you have to have. And I love that when we're on social media or when somebody shares a win, it's easy to take that out of context. Like someone might say, oh, I've had a seven-figure year or, oh, we onboarded five attorneys this year or something like that. But that's often the most positive thing from that story, and it's not telling all of the things behind the scenes, like, as you mentioned, now they have to manage those five attorneys or figure out the compensation model for those five attorneys and make sure there's enough work coming in for five attorneys plus them. So there's always other costs as part of it. And it's very easy to see somebody else's enough number as being yours, but it's really something you've got to set on your own. Yeah. Absolutely. So important to think about all these things and to think about the quality of life that you want, the quality of work that you want to do and put out there for your clients, and just maybe some dream aspects of your life too, of like, if you want to take that extra vacation each year, you might need to hire a staff attorney. And so just the balance. So great to have a balance in all the things. I totally agree. Fabulous. Well, now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Matt from Lawmatics and then Laura's conversation with Paige. Hey, everyone. This is Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist. Today, I'm joined by Matt Spiegel from Lawmatics. And for those of you who don't know, Lawmatics is a powerful CRM built specifically for attorneys. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Hey, Zach. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. So I wanted to talk about this idea of a client journey or engaging our clients as lawyers, you know, something that a CRM can really help us with. And a lot of attorneys don't take advantage of that. No, they don't. This idea of a client journey is it's like a new way of thinking about your law firm. I like to say that the client journey with a law firm is typically broken down, in my opinion, into like three phases. Phase one, which is like this intake phase. The client is deciding whether they want to hire your firm. You're deciding whether you want to take the case. And it goes from the moment they contact you all the way up until they hire you. And that's phase one. Phase two of this journey is the active matter. They've hired you and now they have a case and it's got a start and an end. And that's phase two. And then phase three, which I think is the most neglected, is they're now a former client after their case is over. And there's endless possibilities for you to engage with them at that point. But what's critical about phase three is that needs to be a referral source. That former client needs to be a referral source. They need to be repeat business. Still to this day, about 75% of all law firm business in general comes from referrals. So if you're not delighting your clients at every step of the way, they're not going to be good referrals. We look at the client journey as this three-phase approach. And what's critical is that you need to delight your client, provide exceptional service at every different phase. And every different phase has a little bit of a different component and a little bit some different ways that you can delight them. 
I think this is interesting. I think certainly recognizing that we need to, you know, not only make them happy, but delight them in all of these areas. I think it's interesting because we're not even talking about creating a marketing campaign. This is doing it the way that lawyers have done it for years and years. We're talking about using this just for your referral services without even thinking about active marketing campaigns. And so I think that's something that a lot of attorneys, whether they really realize it or not, can certainly use. Yeah, absolutely. They can. Again, it's every phase has a different approach, right? And so phase three, the way to delight them when they're a former client is to keep them engaged, to check in on them, to say like, hey, it's been six months since your case. We want to see how are you doing? Do you have any questions? It's things like sending them an email on their birthday every year. These are ways that you can delight them, that you provide a great customer experience. You think about the great customer experiences that you have with products that you interact with. Amazon is a great example. We all love Amazon because the experience is incredible. It's not even about the product. It's about the whole experience. If we need to return something, it's no problem. Same with Costco. Same with Trader Joe's, right? All these companies that have incredibly high NPS scores. They don't have these high scores because their product is so good. They have these high scores because the experience that the customer gets interacting with them is so incredible. And law firms need to start thinking about their business in the same way. Obviously, the outcome you provide for your client is important, but it's not the only thing. I've seen countless cases where the outcome was just always going to be mediocre. There was never going to be a way to get them a great outcome, but you provided incredible service and now you've got a referral for life. The opposite of that is true as well, where you could get them a great outcome, but if you don't treat them well and you give them a bad experience, they might not come back to you. Right. Or they may not refer you to somebody else. Exactly. Or, you know, refer somebody else to you. We think about these email campaigns or trying to keep contact with our former clients as something that's going to go into their inbox and they're not going to like it. But really, they don't even have to really engage with it as much as just your name has kind of come into their inbox and it's in a nice way. Happy birthday, you know, just checking. It's been six months since blank happened, just checking on you, you know, just little things like that. And with something like Lawmatics, you can automate that. You don't have to send it every day. You can automate that whole thing. And you're right that you're trying to occupy some mind share of them. They don't need to respond. As long as they're, you know, they're seeing that, they're thinking about you. You know, the, the real critical thing here, especially with attorney-client relationship is, and the reason why we talk about email campaigns, it's about engagement. The easiest way to delight your customer, whether it's phase one, phase two during their case, which is the most important, or phase three, engagement, communication is the easiest way to delight your customer, in this case, your client. And so that's why we encourage law firms to think about it that way. And in order to properly and effectively engage and communicate with your clients every step of the journey, you have to have technology. You can't execute that kind of game plan without tech. No, there's no way to keep track of that many clients and do that much stuff without some sort of technology. I think you're absolutely right. And Matt, people could obviously really dig into this topic in some other place. I know you guys have a lot of information on this on your website. And if they want to learn more or want to look further into Lawmatics, they can go to lawmatics.com and and click on get a demo, right? Yep, that's the best way. We have a ton of resources on our website, some good eBooks, some good case studies, and then getting a demo is always the best way to really get a personalized dive into how Lawmatics could help you build this path to delightment, as we call it. I like it. I like it. Sounds good. Well, if they want to get a path to delightment, they can certainly go to you know lawmatics.com. Again, Matt, I appreciate you being with us and sharing your expertise. Yeah, thank you, Zach. Thank you. Go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Paige Atkins, and I am the Director of Operations here at Lawyerist. 
And before this, I worked at a company where we placed virtual assistants with our clients. And I myself was a virtual assistant for several years. Oh, Paige, we are so excited to have you on the show. I always love when we have someone from our own team that we can highlight. And you joined the team last spring and have just done so much cool stuff. I know Stephanie and I have shouted you out on the podcast for your awesome job building team culture and hosting Taco Thursdays and coming up with like fun and also meaningful events for all of us to connect as a professional team, but also like to get to know who we are outside of work as well. So kudos to you. I'm excited to chat with you about this topic of hiring an admin or virtual assistant for your law firm. So let's start at the very beginning. What what is your definition of what an administrative assistant or virtual assistant is? An assistant is an extension of the leader, or it can be. It's different than other hires because it really is whatever you need to get off of your plate that someone else can do for you. That person probably likes doing it more than you like to do it, but just you doing whatever you do best and let somebody else do all the other stuff. And it's probably what they do best. Yeah. That's a really great definition of this. I feel like for solo and small firm owners, it's usually one of their very first hires in their law firm. They'll do as much as they can for themselves. And then they start to look for what can I leverage either in-house or as an outsourced delegation company or person can help with. So it's usually admin assistant or paralegal is first. And then you might hire other experts like graphic designer, social media manager, or a marketing expert. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Sometimes I feel like those all get muddled together. Like there's one person who can do all of those different things. And they're actually like, at least in my opinion, they're different skill sets. So you've been in this space for a long time. Where would you say that line sort of stops for admin or virtual assistant? And you're actually talking about other skills for somebody else. They totally are different skill sets and pay is probably different for those types of people too. And it's really easy to blur those lines because a lot of times admin minded experts are really good at just juggling a lot of balls in the air and it's easy and tempting to just keep adding to their plate. But it's important just to define what the scope of your assistant's role is and make it really clear. And once it requires a lot of extra training or a lot of outside help for them, then I think it's time to start assessing if you actually need a grapher or a social media manager, because those people are trained to do exactly that. Whereas if you task your assistant with that, they might be able to fake it, but it might not be their expertise. And so you'd be better served allowing them to focus on where they can really help you and support you outsource those other roles. Yeah. I feel like sometimes you can fall into this trap because it's possible that a VA or an admin does come to the table with at least some basic skills in one of these other areas. So maybe they have done social media management before. And so it's like, oh, great. So I've got a two for one. I've got a marketing person who's also an admin. And what I've seen is the more you try to overload a person with multiple different types of tasks, it gets really overwhelming for them. And it's really hard to be exceptional or great at any of those tasks because you're just trying to basically keep your head above water and some of these things you're better at than others. And so it's just really, it's hard for them to perform in that kind of role. So they're usually very different skills. I like to think of it around strategy too. Like if you're turning to your admin to create strategy 
for marketing campaigns or workflows or advanced technology stuff that's maybe beyond where they're comfortable with, listen to them if they say that. If they're like, you know, that's not that's not really what I do. That's not really what I want to do. I'm not comfortable with that. I may be able to help. But also they're not being paid for that usually, right? You know, you talked about that difference in pay. So be mindful of paying your admin. What is fair to pay an admin for the majority of the work that they do? Yeah, I would say the other thing is there's a chance that they do start to thrive or they are really good at those things. So make that their role and hire another admin. You can transition that way too. And that happens a lot of the times where you start to see, oh, wow, you really are really great at graphic design. And I would like you to stick with that, get some training and I'll hire somebody else to manage my inbox or calendar. But yeah, it's just not totally efficient and fair to place all of that on their plate and expect them to do great with all of it. Yeah. I think that one of the other big questions around this is how do you know when it is time for you to hire someone? I hear attorneys that are on one end of the spectrum or the other. It's it's either I'm so overwhelmed, I'm working 65 hours a week, I'm trying to do all the things, or they're worried that they don't have enough work to outsource to an admin. Is there a sweet spot in the middle where it's like, yep, these are your signs that it's time that you really need to hire that person as your next role? It's different for everybody, of course, but I think when you start to realize the work that you're doing and the hourly rate that you're essentially being paid to do that, is it really worth your time and your money and the company's time, all of that kind of stuff? And a lot of people do this, but it might be a mistake to wait till you get totally overwhelmed and you just need the help and you bring in somebody and you hire them really quickly and just do all this for me because I don't have time to do this. I need to focus on strategy, you know? try to plan it out. Put it part of your business plan as you grow your firm. What point would it make sense on paper to bring somebody in? And then just sort of pay attention to that if you can and make sure you have enough work for them. Because sometimes I saw that too, where clients just feel like they need the help or they can afford the help, but they don't have in mind what this person will be owning. So then the assistant gets in there and is like, give me more, I can do more, you know, and this isn't quite filling my hours. And then it's sort of a lost cause and sort of a waste of time for everybody. So... Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, if you're stuck on, you're feeling like it might be time, but you're not really sure, one of the exercises that I like to go through is really list all of the things that you personally are doing in a given week, even if you have to generalize or make guesses and put things into different buckets. And if you start to see that a lot of that is being spent on intake or administrative stuff or the types of things that this person could help you with, and it feels pretty consistent, like, okay, I've got at least five to 10 hours of work a week for this, that's where it could relieve a lot of pressure off of you because that gives you your time back. But it's also enough where someone like you're going to struggle to hire a VA and be like, I have two hours of work for you each week. They're going to be like, "Mm, I'd rather just use that time for a client that's on a bigger project or something like that. So that's something to be mindful of as well. Yeah, I think admins, EAs, VAs, whatever you want to call them, they have the capacity. That's just how their brain works. It's not necessarily multitasking, but they can just get in and get it done. And so that's something to remember too. And there's things that a leader has to do. And then there's things that they can do and that they shouldn't do, you know? And so it's putting those buckets, like you said, and and assessing, okay, what are the things that only I can do? And what are the things that I should not be doing anymore? And those are the things that you can task your assistant to do. Yeah. And I think the next big question is, all right, I've recognized I need an admin's help. 
do I hire this person in-house or do I go virtual? Do you think there is a difference or there are factors that we should consider before deciding which route to go? I suppose it can go both ways. I think it's always an option to hire a virtual assistant. That was just the space that I lived in for so long. I saw it be successful with so many of our clients. There might be a rare case that you do need someone in-house, but that is dependent on your business, really. Do you need them to be there doing something physically? But you'll be surprised. A lot of it can be handled virtually, even across states, you know, where you just have to set the communication to put good practices in place to always be in communication with your assistant and not leave them feeling like they're not part of the team or whatever it is. But as long as you have a plan in place to communicate with them, you don't have to be sitting down in the same room face to face. You just got to get, as so many of us are now, you got to get comfortable with video calls and checking in other ways rather than just walking over to their desk. So I'd say nine times out of 10, you don't need someone in-house, but there probably are specific cases that you do. But if you're overwhelmed and you're like, I just need the help, then just hire somebody and find the best role. You know, we talked on our team about just opening it up to the biggest market where you have a chance to find somebody. It doesn't have to be right in your backyard, but it can be on the other side of the country. And if they're really great and they're really efficient, then you'll be surprised how much they can do for you, even though they're not there face-to-face. Most of those tasks that fall to an admin really can be done virtually. And just like that point you just made about widening the talent pool, you know, you may not be able to find someone who has the skill set you want or is willing to have a smaller gig where they still have to come into an office. I think the pandemic has shown a lot of people that if they like working from home, it's going to be harder to recruit them for an in-person thing. So another hybrid you could do is find someone who is local or who is within your region and maybe they come for, you know, once every other month you do a retreat or you do a meeting or something like that. So you still feel like they're local, but a lot of things can be done virtually. So ask yourself, do you really need someone that you can face to face with? And then if you don't, make sure you have those good communication systems in place to be able to connect with them. One of the things that I see I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you saw this with your experience in the virtual assistant world. Oh, well, I hired someone once and it didn't work out. And that is used as the excuse for I should never hire someone again. You probably either hired the wrong person or did not give them good instructions or communication systems. So I'm curious your perspective. What what do you think of when you hear someone say, oh, I, I did hire someone once and it went really badly. So I'm hesitant about doing this again. Did you set them up to succeed? What was your role in that? Like I said before, if you just throw them into the deep end and say, here's all my stuff I need you to do for me right now, tomorrow, it's not going to work, you know, or if you give them assignments and then they don't hear from you for three weeks or they can never get a hold of you. You know, I think they're just sort of self-evaluating what was my role in this failure of a hire? What can I do differently next time? Just realize it's not a magic wand that you just wave but it takes time. They're not mind readers. They're really good at what they do, but it doesn't mean they just jump in and know how you think. Like I said at the beginning, if you can find somebody that's truly an extension of who you are, that is a beautiful thing, but it doesn't happen in 30 days. You know, It's something that you build up and you work towards. Eventually, they can understand how your brain works. They can understand how you make decisions. That's when it'll really start to flow, but it takes that time. It takes investment. And I would say, to answer your question, try again and take a different approach, maybe get some advice or some training on how you can be better as a leader for someone to join your team and take the time because 
like I said, if you just are in that hot water already and just need the relief, sure, I'm sure they can come in and do some of those things right away for you. But realize you have a part to play in training this person and making sure that they're successful. There's a tendency to wait too long to hire an admin, at which point you're in over your head. And then you don't want to spend the time training and onboarding because you feel like that's lost time and you're already behind. I find that's a lot of the mistakes when you hired someone in the past and it didn't work out. Okay. Did you on day one say, here are 35 open projects. All right, bye. Good luck. And then they're like, okay, this is a mess I'm stepping into. And then you feel like, well, I didn't see the ROI on that investment in that contractor employee because they had a week and we didn't get that far ahead. Well, how far behind were you? What tools did you give them to help them? So that's really, really important. A lot of it comes down to poor communication and instruction. So be willing to have that fall back on you and to learn a lesson from hiring someone when it didn't work and say, all right, did I not give them instructions that were good? Did I not give them instructions in a way that they wanted to receive it? Some people like written, other people need videos, others need live training where they can ask questions. So ask that in your hire too. How do you learn best, right? How do you receive feedback best? That avoids a lot of those kind of personality conflicts. Yeah. I used to tell my clients after I was an assistant for a long time, I did sort of the relationship management between the client and the VA. And so we would try to train our clients to train deep rather than wide. And so when you start to hand off those tasks, make sure they have a full, deep understanding of what you're wanting accomplished, what the win is at the end of the day, rather than here's 30 things I need you to do and be in charge of. Start with two or three and make sure that you have a full understanding. Then they can add on that one more in a couple of weeks and the one more and start to really take stuff, significant things off of your plate. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I like to think of things that a VA can do, but it's also just as important to draw that line of, what is asking too much or what just kind of normally falls outside of the skill set or training that a VA or an admin has. I think data entry, communication, handling calls and scheduling, email management, moving cases and files along, paperwork, a lot of those things are within the same realm, kind of asking the admin to use the same skill set, the same part of their brain. Are there other things that you think are good tasks to outsource to an admin or maybe ones that are not good? Yeah, I think just off of your point too, when we talked about a virtual assistant or someone on site is setting your business up to be virtual also. So a lot of those things, a lot of my clients, or perhaps just if you have your legal business and you want someone answering calls, that can all be moved online also. You know, all of your files, all of your paperwork can be on the cloud. It might take some transition, but it's also something a VA could help you with too. So I think in addition to those things, there's just the normal admin stuff, which is email management, calendar management, even personal things. If you need a haircut every six weeks, They can schedule that for you. Travel, of course, if anybody's still traveling these days. All those little things that actually take time that someone can do with ease. Again, someone probably really enjoys doing it. If it's something that you just, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. As long as it's clear about what their role is, 
these are the things, as long as you kind of have agreement, honestly, some assistants are a little bit averse to doing personal things. So it's just having that conversation up front. I'd like for you to schedule date night every other week with me and my wife, and I need you to book us a reservation. So some people might be a little weird to most assistants. It's just, okay, that's cool. But if you just throw that on them all of a sudden, it's this equivalent of picking up your dry cleaning or getting your coffee in the morning. You can't do that virtually, but just about everything else they can do. And you just have open communication about this is my expectation. This is what I'd like you to do for me. And they sign on and say, absolutely, I'd be happy to just keep it within scope that way. And they can pretty much, I mean, the range is really big. It's those specialized skills, whether it's marketing, social media, graphic design, anything like that. That's when you need to be careful of asking them to do too much, even though they could probably jump in and Google it and figure it out because that's what they do best. It's you don't want to get into a specialized area. Just keep it with administrative. Make sure you guys are on the same page. Do you feel comfortable with this? Are you good with this? And if they say, yeah, I could I could probably do that for you, but I would just need some training on it. That's kind of a red flag when you want to pay attention to. That's a really good point. A lot of this comes down to communication, asking the admin, what do you want to do? You know, getting to know them and them getting to know you. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be talking about mistakes that you can avoid when making a hire. Support for today's broadcast comes from Postali. Building the next powerhouse law firm takes hard work and an entrepreneurial spirit. But some skills escape even the savviest of attorneys. To reach new heights in your legal practice, you need a genuine marketing partner, one that tells you where you are now and where your firm could go. Postali works with law firms nationwide, and their trademarked marketing fiduciary services sets them apart from every other vendor that's cold calling or flooding your inbox. Whether it's informal guidance about things you can do today or a big-picture approach to law firm expansion, Postali is perfect for business-minded attorneys with an eye on the future. No matter where you are in your journey, Postali is the full-service, strategic marketing partner that grows with your firm. To learn more about the services Postali offers, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ.marketing, an agency that provides successful SEO strategies for every stage of your practice. You will work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts. There are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. No account managers to deal with. No lost-in-translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Support for today's episode comes from Sweet Process. Sweet Process is software that enables companies to have a central place for all their procedures, processes, and policies. It makes it easy for management, managers, and their ground-level employees to collaborate on and continuously improve these documents together. Sweet Process becomes the one source of truth, the one place where every employee, regardless of their role or team in the company, can go to find information on how work is done. Sweet Process makes it easy to train new and existing employees because your documented procedures are already in Sweet Process. So, when employees are getting tasks done, the instructions are right in front of them. 
Sweet Process offers a 14-day free trial. But by using our dedicated sign-up link, you can extend that to 28 days. Just visit www.sweetprocess.com forward slash lawyerist to sign up now. No credit card is required. Support for today's broadcast comes from Text Expander. Work smarter, not harder, with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. Speed through emails, expand forms with fill in the blank fields using a quick abbreviation. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Get your message right every time by expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with a few keystrokes. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. All right, we're back. So what mistakes? I feel like this is a big, broad category. So we will. this will not be an exhaustive list, right? But there are definitely some mistakes that jump out when it comes to hiring an admin. I think the first one that comes to mind for me is trying to find the magic unicorn VA that does everything and does everything really well at 100% perfection. And you're not really differentiating between those different skill sets because I find most VAs really like to do maybe three to four key things max where they're just like, yep, I'm in my flow state. This is my jam. I love doing it. When you ask them to do 12 different things, they can probably figure out the other eight. Like you said, they'll jump in and try to teach themselves it, but you can actually kind of dilute their effectiveness by doing that, by spreading it across things they're not great at or not comfortable at. And so think about whether you're lumping the right things together when you write the job description, or are these really different skills that you need to break into different hires? Yeah. I think communication, obviously, and that's ongoing for ever. <laughs> you can yeah. never stop communicating, but also you need to have their back. I think building that relationship, which may sound weird in a business setting, but you need to get to know them and how they tick and what's their personality like and how do they best receive feedback, all that kind of stuff. If you skip over that, then you'll notice it doesn't last very long. But if you really want to build a strong bond, like I said, for this person to eventually be in your brain and think like you do and be able to execute, you want to get to know them. And I remember when I was a VA, sometimes my client would, we would jump on our weekly Zoom call and he would ask me, how's it going? How's your family? You know, and at first it was just like, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. They're fine. Let's get to business, you know? (laughs) And I didn't want to waste his time, but he took that time to get to know me a little bit. And that's really valuable. So don't skip over kind of the touchy-feely stuff just because they're there to work for you and you might be go, 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 go. If you want it to last long, you got to take the time to nurture that relationship. And as I was saying, when you have their back, when you get to know them, when they know that they'll be able to rely on you in a number of ways, I'm thinking of things like if they call you, you need to answer the phone. If they reach out to via text or Slack or whatever method you're using, you need to respond and they need to know that they'll hear from you because nothing is more frustrating when you're trying to get an answer. It's probably a really quick answer, but you just keep getting blown off because it's not important. You really need to prioritize 
that person, that role, that relationship so that they can rely on you because that's how they'll get stuff done for you. And then if I think another mistake that starts to happen with an admin or paralegal, whatever it is, is that other people start noticing, wow, this person's really good. Hey, could you do that for me? Or would you mind just booking my flight too? Or could you take a look at that? Could you review this? Could you edit this? You know, whatever it is, that's fine. If it's again, talked about and agreed upon, but a lot of times that creep starts happening. And as a client, as the boss, you can step in and say, no, 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 this is my assistant, not your assistant, and just protect their time in that way. I'm sure they'll be happy to help. They'll say yes to anybody that reaches out. But if they know that you've given them the freedom at least, or you'll say it on their behalf and protect, again, those boundaries, then it will just allow them to do what you need them to do even better. And then I think the the final thing is just the tendency to, if you're nervous about hiring an assistant, because some people feel guilty, some people feel like it's a luxury, some people feel like, oh, no, no, I, I mean, I can book a flight, like anyone can do that, you know, of course you can, we're not doubting that, but this is something that they can do. There's There's a hesitancy to give them the information that they need or kind of open up everything to them. And so the quicker you can build that trust and feel comfortable sharing your passwords and credit card information, everything, they're just wanting it. They're like, the sooner you can give this to me, the less times I have to ask you for it. So building that trust and then just letting them at it, having insight into your calendar or your email. Email is a big one. I know that a lot of times it's hard for us to hand over our inboxes, but Sometimes you just got to rip off the Band-Aid and say, get in there. I know you're going to see some weird stuff or whatever it might be, but that's just my life. Don't mind, you know, the if I have yoga class every morning at 7 a.m., that's just what I do. You know what I mean? And other people might not know that, but your assistant needs to know that. Again, communicating, this is information only for your eyes, whatever it is. Can we trust each other? And they will. You know, you find the right hire, you find the right person, and they will really protect that for you. They'll protect your time. They'll organize your life. They'll help you be more efficient. But if we're reluctant to open up in that way, then it's just a much longer process than it needs to be. And you won't see the value. You won't see the ROI because again, you have a part to play in that. You do. You have a big part to play in that. I think the other aspect of this where this gets really challenging is not building in that time for the training, the kind of the urgency of, hey, I'm I'm drowning here. I can barely keep up with all of these tasks, so I need you to get up to speed quickly. And the truth is you really wouldn't treat any other hire like that, right? Like if you hired an associate, you would not send them into court the next day and expect them to handle a case they had no context about. So you've got to treat an admin the same way. I know it's tempting to go, well, why am I outsourcing this at all? If I have to spend three weeks training them and I'm not really feeling like I'm getting those hours back. In fact, I'm losing hours because now I not only have to do the things, but I have to teach someone else how to do it. There's going to be a breaking point where it comes back to you and you have to stick with it for that training time a little bit because you can't expect it to be instant. So how long, how long do you really think it takes to train an admin assistant? I suggest 30 days, you know, depending on some, you can hire someone for 10 hours a week, you can hire somebody full time. So obviously the more that they're working for you, 
the faster it will happen. But general rule of thumb would be at least 30 days just to take the time, answer all of their questions. I used to tell my clients, they're allowed to ask you any question and you have to answer it, you know? And even if it's repeated five times, just again, make sure they have that really clear, full understanding of what you're wanting. Again, if you can be the one to communicate that to them, it will change instead of them feeling guilty or feeling bad. Oh, sorry, me again. I have the same question. I can't remember. I didn't, you know, whatever it is, I'm still not getting it. Just, okay, cool. Let's go over it again. At 90 days when they're there and they've, you know, added a few tasks in or taken on some significant things, they're really starting to get it down. It should be smooth. If at 90 days, it's, you're still not getting it. You're not getting the rhythm. You know, maybe that's when you assess, is this the right person for what I need to do? Is this working? But don't just kind of be open about it and be available to your assistant and make them a priority and just assess it. Just see, is there something better that I can be doing or is this just the wrong person for in the wrong seat? Yeah. I love that. You got to have these timeframes in mind so that you can remember to check back in with them and that you're not pushing it too soon or letting a situation that isn't working go on too long. You should not be six months into this going, well, I don't feel like they're saving me that much time or I have to re-explain the same instructions over and over again. So I know our our last topic that I want to chat about is probably the one that everyone has the most questions, which is, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm ready to hire. I feel like I've got the tips to do it the right way what can I really expect to pay a legal admin or a virtual assistant? My general feeling is you get what you pay for. There's lots of stuff out there about, oh, you can hire somebody overseas for $5 an hour and they'll do everything you know for you and everything will be done perfectly. I get so frustrated every time I see that because I'm like, oh, why? It leads people to think this is super, super easy and that it's going to solve everything by paying someone a couple bucks an hour. Absolutely. And I think, again, you can't build a relationship (laughs) with that person. You know, it's they'll jump on to the next thing or the next person or whoever comes along and has tasks for them. That's great. I mean, and there's times for that. But if you really want somebody that can come and be your admin and if you don't want them to leave you, (laughs) then you have to pay them what they deserve and let them grow in their career. A lot of people, sure, this might be a starting point for some people, but if you get a good quality assistant, this is somebody that this is what they want to do. And a promotion to them might be the same, a similar, in a similar vein. You know, a lot of times it's not going to be your next marketing director or anything like that, but it might be operations or it might be somebody that they have an assistant themselves, you know, and or they're managing your assistant for you or something like that. But this is really what they love to do. And just imagine, you know, this person is by your side. They understand, they help you in so many ways, then you have to pay them. And I say it really runs the gamut, but I think at least if you start around $25 an hour, that's a fair, especially if it's 10 hours, 15 hours a week. And then, of course, just show them that you value them and look for ways that you can continue to encourage them to grow. But anything less than that, you might just get a an entry-level person that can just sort of do data management or whatever. But if you want somebody that's going to go the distance with you, then I would say you have to 25 even up to $35, $40 an hour. That's probably the going rate for someone. There's companies and stuff that you can hire out also that will do the searching and matching for you. But if you find somebody directly, then 
if that's what they say is their price, then don't be surprised because it's a hard thing to shift our minds around that this isn't just somebody that's going to, like I said, go pick up my dry cleaning and get my coffee for me. This is somebody that can really help you move your business forward in big ways and they can ride it with you as you grow everything to what you want it to be. And a lot of times you'll find yourself not being able to live without them. So you need to pay them what they're worth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do need to pay them what they're worth. And I think there's also a trade-off when maybe you hire someone or find someone who's $15 an hour, $18 an hour, but they're much less experienced. And so that's when you have to make the call of, is it better for me to work with someone who's cheaper, but I'm going to have to do a lot more training. They're going to come to the table with fewer skills. They might not have as much experience as someone else. There is still a cost to that as well. So if you're the law firm owner that is already buried in work and can't really afford to take additional time to train someone who may be in their very first job ever at 15 or 18 or even $20 an hour, then factor that in as well. Maybe you're better off. Like the way I think of it is it's the best person for the role. And I feel like if you're, you end up paying them more, they will make that money back for you eventually. And you will feel happy about it, but you do have to invest that training. Absolutely. So if you had to give one takeaway tip from this episode or one thing that jumps out to you that's like, hey, we didn't talk about this, but I want to make sure people know this. Do you have any insights for anyone who's getting ready to hire their very first admin? My advice would be for anybody that's just even considering (laughs) it, that just go for it. (laughs) You probably need it. And if you're feeling at all like this is work that you don't need to be doing, then you need to hire an assistant. It's only going to get worse from here. The work will keep coming at you or things will keep falling through the cracks or your clients will suffer. So just go for it. Make a plan. Put it in place. Don't just hire the next person that you talk to. Like I said, put a plan in place. What, What will the next month look like and how can I set myself up to get ready to do this? It might mean pausing other areas. Like we said before, training is super important. And so... Yes, go for it, but also make sure that you do it intentionally. Make sure that it's worth your investment of time and money and resources, but you probably do need an assistant. So it's time to hire one. (laughs) All right. Consider that your best advice. If you've been waiting to hire, now is the time. Thank you so much for your expert insights on this topic, Paige. Thanks, Laura. It was fun. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by their participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.